Hello everyone, welcome to the inaugural Appalachian Broncos podcast by Mark and Nate. We are both students at Frostburg State University, which is in the Appalachian Mountains of Maryland. A little bit about myself, my name is Nate. I got my bachelor's here at Frostburg in Health and PE. I'm currently working on getting my master's in sports management. I also coach tennis for the Frostburg State tennis team, and I've been a Broncos fan my whole life. Um, Now I'll send it over to Mark. What's up guys, my name's Mark. I'm a criminal justice major with a minor in philosophy and sociology. I play rugby at Frostburg, which is where Nate and I became friends. We were actually at a party, and I saw he had a Broncos lanyard in his pocket, and that's how we started talking, and now we're best friends. I've been a Broncos fan my whole life. It runs in my family. My dad's family is from Denver. Now let's get it started with our weekly update. In this week's update, we'll get it started with the injuries. As you know, the Broncos have been one of the most injury-afflicted teams this season with players like Vaughn Miller, Cortland Sutton, Jarrell Casey being out for the year. And yet, we took another big hit this last week against the Falcons with the loss of Albert O. I'll let you get your thoughts on that, Nate. Yeah, that's a tough one because, as I've told you in many conversations, I feel like the connection between Drew Locke and Albert O was really fun to watch because it just seemed like Albert O was Drew Locke's security blanket. Anytime in the red zone, he knew that he could just go to Albert O. He would come through, he'd jump up, he'd catch that ball. It was big time. So... As we, as you all probably know, he tore his ACL and out, is out for the year. That's a really big hit. Um, we're going to replace him. We signed Fumagalli this week. So Fumagalli's on the practice squad. and Which he's been, he's been on the team for a couple of years, so he knows the system. He's familiar. I'm, I was actually surprised that he was cut at the end of the uh, training camp, I guess because there's no preseason. There's no real way for him to showcase his abilities this offseason. Yeah. yeah, so as of now, it looks like Nick Bennett's going to kind of be stepping into that second role, which Nick Vanette's a great blocker. I'm not sure how well he'll transition into that double tight end passing attack that we try to build on. The Albert O injury is a real big loss because he is a very similar player to Noah Fant, who was also on the injury list this week with an ankle. He injured it in the first quarter against the Falcons on his basically only real big play of the game when he had a nice big play, he caught it, ran down the field for about 30 yards, and then hobbled off the field. Uh, next injury we'll get into is DeMar Dotson. This is a big loss because he's already our third-string right tackle with Jawan James opting out for COVID. And um, so then we'll get Jake Rogers. He's injured. And then our fourth-string right tackle, Calvin Anderson, will probably be slated to start this week. So we'll have to look out for defensive end Max Crosby. But on a positive note, we have Bryce Callahan and A.J. Boye both returning this week after yeah. missing their loss. Nate, yeah, what do that, you think? that's big time because... I think if they were playing last week against the Falcons, it would have been a completely different outlook. If we could have had it so that Devontae Harris wasn't getting beat by their role-play receivers, if we had a Callahan out there to kind of push o- force O.J. Moody into that role, it would have been big time. We could have reduced a lot of their passing and definitely their scoring. So I definitely believe we were one or two defensive plays away from winning that game because we actually started to come back in that game. We we were one drive away. If we if we didn't allow that Julio touchdown, which was, I mean, that was just a perfect route run by mm-hmm. Julio. We saw what he did to O.J. Moody. Julio Jones, arguably best receiver in the NFL, and you can't expect a rookie receiver to cover him. So, But the injury that we are most concerned about and most intrigued by is Jerry Judy. He was added to the injury list on Wednesday with a shoulder injury held out of practice forced to watch from the sideline he w- returned to practice uh, on Thursday the 12th 
and was limited Thursday and Friday. So that is definitely an injury to watch out for. Yeah, that's that's definitely alarming because right now, Jerry Judy halfway through the season is just shy of 500 yards. He's got two touchdowns. He has been in the last two weeks our impact player on our offense that's been able to get things going in that fourth quarter. So big time loss. Let's transition. Or possible. Yep. Time loss. Let's transition into a, a more specific injury list to the 2020 season, the COVID list. The Broncos have luckily not been very affected by it, but we have two big names on it. Nate, I'll let you cover them. Yeah, so right now on our, our big news for COVID is that Graham Glasgow, he returned to practice this week on the 11th. That's very exciting. Last week, our offensive line definitely struggled without his veteran presence. Um yeah, so he's he's missed the last two weeks, and we really are excited to see him back. The other big news is Shelby Harris tested positive, which I hope everything goes well with that. I hope that it's not too rough. I hope that like not too many of his family members have been affected by it. But he will be out for the next 10 days, so he'll miss this week and next week and hopefully be back that third week. And he already missed last week, and you can definitely see that we missed his presence. He leads often, or defensive linemen in the NFL and batted down passes. He gets the brush up the middle. We hope that he gets a good re- uh, recovery and comes back soon. Yeah, so then our third section of our weekly updates is going to be just other players in the news. And I actually let Mark cover that one. All right, uh, we re-signed Devontae Bosby after, for some reason, we released him before the Falcons game. Which... Even Coach Fangio said that he didn't want to lose him, so I'm not really sure how he got away from us. We we saw what happened with players like Devontae Harris and Hussain Bassey and Kevin Tolliver being thrown in without really any experience. Against a really speedy receiving core. Exactly. Bosby coming back will give us a good corner Luckily, he won't have to play that much. He'll be the fourth nickel corner yeah. since Ojemudia yeah. and Boye will be outside. Callahan will be the slot. Yeah. But unfortunately, Nate, you want to cover yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. So, right, since we just signed him with everything we're going through with this year, there's a whole bunch of COVID protocols when a team re-signs a player. Even though he was just on the Broncos team, he's going through all his COVID protocols, so he can't play this week. So the earliest we'll see him is next week. So... It won't be an immediate impact, but it will be a great impact down the road with our our defensive back depth. Definitely a quality signing. I was a big fan of Bosby watching him in the AAF. He led the AAF in interceptions, and we've had him since then. Another player in the news is Elijah Wilkinson, who fractured his leg a couple weeks ago, is designated to return from IR, so we get some very needed o-line depth that we have desperately been needing hopefully we can end the turnstile at right tackle which i showed you the stat earlier this week nate that the broncos since orlando franklin have retired have played it said 17 right tackles yeah 17 17 right tackles so like the stat said everybody's focused on the qb controversy since we've lost peyton manning but one we really need to focus on is the right tackle because you can't have a good quarterback without a good offensive line yep so that just about finishes our weekly updates now our next segment we're going to get into is going to be our review on the falcons game so we'll start with the positives obviously this has been going on the whole season it showed again last week our inside linebackers have really been stepping up between jewel and johnson 
they've really been picking up a lot of the slack that has been created by injuries on the defensive backs and the defensive line. Um, some stats from the game. Jewel led the team in tackles. He had 10 tackles, 7 solo. He had one quarterback hit. And he had a 73.3 coverage rating from Pro Football Focus, which, as we know from last year and the year prior, Jewel's biggest weakness was his lack of ability to cover. And this year, it really seems like he's getting into it. Um, the other inside linebacker, Alexander Johnson, he had six tackles, five solo. He also had a quarterback hit, and he had a quarterback hurry. Um, yeah. I'll be- I believe that uh, Josie Jewell is playing out of his mind this season. He definitely justified the release of Todd Davis that everybody questioned at the end of training camp. Everybody loved Todd Davis. He was a fan favorite, and people were really down on Josie Jewell, who is stepping up his coverage. He's making plays in the backfield and, and everything. Yeah, and Jewell just, he doesn't mind hitting people, which is mm-hmm. the biggest thing we need out of an inside linebacker is somebody that the running backs are going to fear when they break through the line, that they're going to get popped by somebody, which has been Josie Jewell this year. He's a nice old-school linebacker, which yep. is what this defense needed, like Randy Gratishar. Yep. So next up, the safeties, and this has been not just this year, but last year, and they've just been playing phenomenal. Justin Simmons has been creating turnover after turnover and pivotal parts of the game. We got to pay that man. Yes, have to pay that man. We need him to finish his career as a Bronco. So I'll go through some stats. Justin Simmons, he had a, he had that big time interception, which was part of kind of our turn of momentum. He had five tackles, a quarterback hurry, and a pass batted. And then we have Jackson, who had some unnecessary roughness penalties, which is not that great. But he also had six tackles, five solo, and he had a 73.5 coverage rating, which is really good because we know that Jackson is more of our our hitter. He's, he's, our not, he's not our cover guy, that's Simmons. He's more of our replacement for T.J. Oh. Ward from that 2015 yeah. Super Bowl season. So my question to you, Mark, is are you happier or unhappier with these unnecessary roughness penalties? Do you like his physicality, or would you rather him tone it down a little? I love his physicality. The only one I had a problem with was when he absolutely destroyed A.J. Boye and knocked him out against the Chargers. Yeah, you, you got you to gotta realize when your teammate's in danger. But other than that, you want running backs and receivers to fear coming across the middle of the field, and Kareem Jackson comes at them like a heat-seeking missile. Yeah, and he, he has no care for his own wellness, it seems like. like he, he seems like when he goes out on that field, he's ready to put his life on the line for this team. He was the same way in Houston, and I'm glad that towards the end of his career he was able to transfer that same thing over to us in Denver because we definitely needed it with the loss of T.J. Ward. Yep, so now we'll transition a little bit to the offensive side. There were a lot of positives, especially later in the game with our offense. One of the biggest things was our young wide receivers. They are currently carrying our passing game, partially because all of our receiving core is young, and our oldest receiver, Cortland Sutton, one of the oldest, is currently injured. So between Hamler and Judy, we'll just look at our two rookies, they received 22 targets last game for 200 yards and a touchdown. That's amazing. We look at a little bit more specific. Judy had seven catches on 12 targets for 125 yards and a touchdown. He did have that one drop 
but he also averaged 17.9 yards per catch, and he had 29 yards after catch during that game. Then we swing it over to Hamler. He had six catches on 10 targets, 75 yards. He had two drops. One of those drops shouldn't have happened. The other drop, I kind of understood because he's a young guy without a lot of experience. He took his eyes off the ball because he saw their safety just running downfield with his head lowered. He tried to protect himself and catch the ball and lost focus on the ball. So I kind of I kind of understood that as him being a young guy. He had 12.5 yards per catch, and Hamler actually had 32 yards after catch, and he had that 15-yard sweep around the end, which was beautiful. Mark, I got to ask you, what are you thinking about our rookie receivers so far this year? I love them. I remember in the offseason texting you when we drafted both of them, thinking that they were awesome additions. I think Jerry Judy is blossoming into a future star in the NFL. His route running is second to none. The route he had against the for his touchdown where he put his hand up to fake like he was going deep and turned around for the hook, he was wide open on that. That's something you see a veteran doing. That's not something you see very many rookies doing. Yeah, the time the time that you see him like put into his routes, like I saw it all over his stories and stuff over the off season. Like he he didn't just work on running routes. He worked on like every specific thing about routes, which comes into play with you see his footwork. You see him throwing up his hand to signal the go route, and then he puts it down because he's coming back towards the ball. Mm-hmm. He's just so perfect with his route running. Almost every single week I see some Twitter Instagram page posting a caption of Jerry Judy video saying, Jerry Judy's route running is nasty. Jerry Judy's route running is fire. That's something very promising because we have not really had a good route running receiver since Emmanuel Sanders. We've just had down downhill guys like Demarius Thomas and Cortland Sutton. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I definitely I agree with that. But, I mean, looking at this, 22 targets for our rookie receivers, that's a ton. I think mm-hmm. Locke had... Was it 50 passes? Something, 48, 50, Yeah, something somewhere like just shy of 50. And half of those targets are going to our rookie receivers just mm-hmm. about, which is very exciting to see that they're involved and they're getting that experience. Once we get a couple more games, they're going to get so much better because they've already improved over this first date. I'm so excited for their future. Um, I'll get into our last positive we have, which is that our – Offense only allowed one sack. That's awesome. Drew Locke was throwing the ball away when he needed to. Running the ball when he needed to. Running the ball when he needed to. The O-line was picking up their stuff. Now, it is that there was only one sack. Not saying the O-line performed amazing. I'm just saying that we we reduced the sacks, which we normally take a lot. Drew Locke Um, was hurried a lot during the game. Luckily, the one sack was because our third string right tackle was in. He just he just missed an assignment. He doesn't have the reps. When you yeah. have he he let the right defense or left defensive end come screaming down the sideline. Yeah. Philip Lindsay, I mean, I know we always talk and it's always in his like evaluations that he's a horrible pass protector and like I can't even put that on Philip Lindsay. He was one on one with a D lineman with no help from the offensive line. As a running back you should be chipping somebody coming off of the O-line. You shouldn't be taking these 300-pound guys mm-hmm. one-on-one. Yeah, to add to that, since we both personally met Philip Lindsay and seen how like actually small he is in person, you can't expect him to block a 6'5", 300-pound guy coming off the edge at full speed. 
So we're going to get into the negatives of the game now, which there were a lot of, unfortunately. The first and foremost being the lack of corner depth. We lost our two starting corners to injuries against the Chargers that have been, they played lights out in that game. And obviously it was very noticeable with... Yeah, it co- it cost us the game. That mm-hmm. Like if, if we had cornerback depth, if we had Callahan or we had Boye starting, one, of, one or both, I think we would have mm-hmm. won that game. It was just so evident. The first and obvious showing of our lack of CB depth was Devontae Harris. Yeah, it was, it was tough to watch. He had an absolute horrible game. I'll list his stats. He had, according to Pro Football Focus, a 31.6 coverage rating. That's out of 100 now. That is abysmal. You cannot have that in the NFL. He was targeted seven times for five receptions. He allowed 117 yards and one touchdown. He allowed 93 of those 73 yards to their receiver, Zacchaeus, who absolutely just destroyed Devontae Harris. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the stats, Harris was averaging like 25 yards or more a catch. Exactly. Like that's that's big-time that. plays. And our defense, if you watch the Broncos, is a bend-don't-break. Mm-hmm. We, we really limit those big plays, and then we shut teams down in the red zone. That's like our defensive forte, and... We can't allow 20-plus yard receptions happening. Exactly. Adding on to the 93 yards allowed to Zacchaeus, all the other CBs only allowed him 10 yards. So there's a huge, out of Zacchaeus's 103 yards, 93 of them came off of one corner. So they were clearly targeting Devontae Harris. And I know that he hasn't had that much playing experience, but you got you to gotta think, did that justify the Bosby release, Nate? What do you think? No, I mean, when, when Bosby was released, his, I, I was a big Bosby fan, seeing like what he did in some of the training camp videos and stuff like that. I was, I was blown away when we saw that, especially knowing that like Boyer has been on and off the field. Callahan is an injury-prone guy. Like He was out all last year because of an injury. Um, we definitely are a team that need to keep as many corners as possible just because we're a team that deals with those injuries. And we released like a quality depth corner. I was shocked. And then it bit us in the butt last week against the Falcons. And that's why we're bringing him back. Yeah, definitely looking at the other lack of CB depth, we had Asang Vasti, who's an undrafted corner out of Wake Forest. He was forced into the starting role opposite of, or in the slot because Harris was opposite of Ojemudi, hey, another rookie. I loved Vasti's play. I'm not saying he did amazing, but I love the fact that he was willing to come up and hit. He had, I think, like two or three tackles for loss, mm-hmm. a couple quarterback pressures, like coming off the end from that slot corner blitz. He was just phenomenal and fearless. I loved it. Then jumping into our uh, our boy Michael Ojemudia, a guy Nate and I really like. He had, love him. He had a ra- relatively quiet game. Obviously, he had to guard Julio Jones, who he said earlier in this is one of the best receivers in the NFL. If not the best. He allowed that really bad touchdown where Julio faked the inside and cut outside on the seven route. Yeah, he, he opened his hips because Julio did a really good job of selling that post route. And when, right when he saw O.J. Mudia flip his hips... Julio just sprinted to the corner, and there's no catching up to Julio Jones. Exactly. One thing I have to say to fellow Broncos fans is you have to be patient with these rookies on this team. You cannot expect them to play like Champ Bailey and, 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 and lock not, down these and receivers. And not even rookies. Like, 
rookies, two-year guys, like mm-hmm. those young guys that just don't have experience. Like you, you can't judge an NFL player who doesn't have experience. You got to give them a chance because the NFL is a completely different playing field than any other league. Like it's mm-hmm. different than college, high school. The majority of rookies are not going to walk onto an NFL field and be the fastest, most physical, strongest guy on the field like they were in college. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Jumping onto an offensive negative, which was a really big, noticeable one that really hurt our offense, was the running game. Uh, starting off, I'll send some stats. We only had 14 rushes by our running backs. Crazy. Eight carries for Philip Lindsay for 23 yards. And Melvin Gordon, six carries for 18 yards. I'm going to pose a question to you, Nate. How do you feel about the split of the backfield workload? Yeah, so right now I'm really disappointed, and I just I can't fathom what Shermer is thinking right now. And, like, I understand that Lindsey is not the best receiver out of the backfield. I get that. He had two drops. He's not. It's something he's working on. I understand Lindsey's not the best at picking up pass protection. Gordon's better at that. But those are both two skills that are really important on third down. I don't know why we have Melvin Gordon rushing the ball on first or in second down every time. I think the percentage of split carries was, I think, Philip Lindsay was on the field for 30% of the plays, and Melvin Gordon was on for the other 70%. That's crazy. Lindsay, last year and the year before, he's time and time again proven that he is our spark plug. When we had that comeback two weeks ago, the spark plug was what? His big-time rushing touchdown. He's so quick. He's so elusive. We need his energy and his running ability on the field, even if he's not the best receiver and he's not the best um, blocker. We need his running. Um, question to shoot back at you, Mark, about this whole Gordon situation that we're going through. Do you think there is a better option we could assign this offseason than Gordon? I 100% agree or believe that because there was a graphic put up in the game about Todd Gurley, who was the same draft class as Melvin Gordon yep. and was a free agent this offseason. He has twice as many touchdowns, Ooh. almost twice as many touchdowns in his career as Melvin Gordon. And it, I believe that our yeah. offense has been lacking touchdowns. It doesn't matter how many yards a guy has. It matters if they get in the end zone. I would rather have a guy that has 20 carries of one yard for 20 touchdowns than a guy that has 20 carries for 200 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's the thing is, if you watch our team, we get inside the 30 and we just stop. Mm-hmm. We just stop all progress. We we run from our, our own 20 all the way to the 30-yard line like nothing, and then we get there, we, get, we start sniffing the end zone, and we just fall apart because we don't have... Like, Gordon can't just punch the ball up the middle every mm. time and pick up three yards like Philip Lindsay or Todd Gurley can. So I, I definitely like that you brought up Todd Gurley as a possible mm. signing we could have made because, I mean, yeah. And throwing it back to what you said in the Ren zone, that definitely brings up our next negative, which is play calling, which has been terrible this season. Yeah, we'll we'll get into it more in our next section, but we definitely need to talk about our play calling specific to, this to the Falcons game. I'll let you kind of run we, through it. A big thing I noticed, and I'm sure you noticed too, Nate, is we aren't getting chunk plays on first down. We no. can't, we can't no. succeed getting one, two yards on first down or even taking negative five yards for tackles in the backfield. 
That's just completely unacceptable. That's why we have so many three and outs. That's why our drive stall is first down drives are made. And, and I think it's a lot on, I mean, obviously it's execution, but mm-hmm. I also think it's big time into our play calling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of, if you watch football, you know that the first half is usually the offense running through their script. The offensive coordinator, the whole week leading up to a game, will create an offensive script of plays they like to call, and they basically, like a play, they map out everything they want to do for that first half. Second half is usually when you get off script based on the score and everything that goes or doesn't go as planned. And I just think it shows that our play calling is not doing well because in the first half, we're not doing anything. We're not scoring any plays. We're, we're not getting any points. We're not getting any chunk plays, nothing like that, until we go off script in the second half and like that late third, fourth quarter, once we start just kind of winging it, which really shows our scripts are wrong, which falls on Pat Sherman. Which actually Fangio even said in an interview earlier this week that he believes that they need to change the first 15 play script because it is obviously not working. Yeah. Another big thing that had to do with playing calling in this game is it seems like teams are stacking the box and they seem to know that we're running the ball in second down every single time with Melvin Gordon. Well, yeah, I mean, me and you were messaging all last game and it, it, was, like, it was like every time I saw a second and ten, they would bring everybody down and we would run Melvin Gordon for like a two-yard loss. Like every time and put, us, put ourselves into third and 13, third and 12, mm-hmm. third and 10. Like we can't do that. And clearly, especially with this last game where Melvin Gordon was not effective at all, where he was averaging three yards a carry, that is just something you don't want to do on second down. You can't afford to give up yards yeah, on yeah, second best, down. Yeah, best case scenario, Melvin Gordon gets his three yards, even four yards. We're left with a third and six, which is still not super beneficial to us which was another problem because we've been actually having this problem for years ever since Peyton Manning left and it was real evident this last Sunday against the Falcons we seem to throw short of the first down marker on third down a lot I don't know why we do these play calls where we do a little two-yard route and we expect the receiver to go the rest of the way yeah we I mean if you watch towards the end of the game this was it wasn't the last drive it was the drive right before the last drive we ran a play and we had, I think it was Deshaun Hamilton caught the ball like three yards down the field. And if you looked at the Falcons' defense on this third down, they had, it was like five DBs spread across the first down line. And as soon as Hamilton caught it, all five of them it's, just converged on him. And it's like, like I don't know how you think that's going to work when they're protecting. You mm-hmm. need to go beyond those five DBs. You need to stretch them down the field to open it up. Exactly. And that, that has to go into our final drive. I think our final drive was the worst thing of play calling oh, yeah. I have ever seen from the Denver Broncos. I'll let, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, day. so my first thought on, when I watched that drive, because I was really excited. We came back. We were so close. It was like, yes, it's the same thing as last week happening again. We're going to come back. We're going to win a game that we should not be in. Exactly. And I was, I was super excited. And then we got to that fourth, that, that last drive. And every play call seemed like we didn't know what we were doing. Like, there was confusion between the receivers. We had that snap that was hit by a crossing receiver um, in motion. Like, it's just, I, I don't know if we don't practice that. Like, I know we haven't been practicing because of some COVID protocols, but you have to be practicing and running through these fourth quarter 
one minute drive, two minute drive situations. And it seemed like our team had never been in that situation before in practice or in games. Like it just blew me the like confusion of our team. And I don't know if that was poor play calling or I don't know I don't know what it was. Like I can't narrow it down. It definitely seemed like there was some panicking going on, especially with Philip Lindsay's drop where it hit him right in the face. Yep. And that, that final play, the final play was so atrocious, it happened so fast, I actually didn't see it because I happened to look away from my TV for three seconds, texting you, Nate, to see what was going on, and I look up and they said the game was over. So I'll let you get your thoughts on the final play because I think you saw it, right? Yeah, I saw it. Um, the big thing was, I think the offense was thrown off because of that, Philip. well, there were two drops on that last drive. So the first drop kind of threw us into a frenzy. Then Philip Lindsay had that ball, which, as the announcer said, Drew Locke threw a good ball, a catchable ball. Philip Lindsay could have caught it, but it it was high. It was a little bit behind Lindsay. If you're Drew Locke, you gotta realize Lindsay needs the ball in that perfect spot so that you can be sure he catches it. He's not gonna make anything acrobatic or anything extra. He's that's just not who he is. So I think those two drops. The team was expecting to already be 20 yards down the field, 15 yards down the field, and now they're in 4th and 10. I think they were just kind of shocked that they were where they were at, and then they just were mentally thinking about those last two plays. So mm-hmm. we we brought our receiver, well, we set up in the wrong formation. Drew Locke decided to move, I think it was Hamilton, across the line to the other side because that's where he was supposed to be. As he was running across the line, the clock was running down. Uh, the center realized clock was running down. Lock did too. Um, they tried to snap the ball as that play clock expired, and Hamilton hadn't cleared the center yet, and it just went like that. I think it hit Hamilton. Um, I think Hamler recovered it. I mean, it, it was just a horrible play. So jumping into one of our final negatives that we have was special teams, something that people have been complaining about for the Broncos for years. We can't tackle on special teams. We have bad returns. And the most questionable special teams call we saw was probably oh my gosh. was probably the decision not to let Brandon McManus kick a 58-yarder in Mc the game. McMoney! What do you think about that, Nate? I mean, this guy has been nothing but perfect for us. Like... In any clutch situation, he has come through. He is the man. He is McMoney. In warm-ups of every game, they're always showing him kick these 70-yard field goals. We've seen it in person in training camp. We saw it in training camp. He was kicking 70-yarders and clearing the field goal post by like 5, 10 yards. Like, he has an insane amount of leg strength, and he's so clutch he doesn't fall under pressure. I don't know why they didn't do that. And I know you had read... A conversation from Vic mm-hmm. Fangio about him and McMahon's conversation you could kind of go over. So I saw an interview. Vic Fangio said that Tom McMahon, our special teams coordinator, said McManus was having a t- not very good warm-up, so he didn't feel confident with him hitting the distance field goal. Brandon McManus replied to the tweet saying, I don't know what game he was watching. I was having a fire warm-up, and I hit it from 69 yards. So is there some kind of disconnect between Brandon McManus and the special teams coordinator? I've actually been shocked that Tom McMahon is even still our special teams coordinator because he has a history of being very poor decision-making. Yeah, well, yeah, he does everything 
the standard way. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything... No risk-taking. And with your comment about McMahon talking to Fangio on the field and stuff like that, I get that. As a head coach, you trust your special teams. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know the players are going to boost their abilities because players are always... If a player doesn't have confidence in themselves, you're not going to want them on the team. Yeah, well, so. yeah, but, like, my thinking is... Is if Fangio talks to McMahon, McMahon says, "Hey, he doesn't have it." Fangio says, "All right, bet." Why call the timeout? Right. If if you decide you're gonna punt, what is a five yard delay of game penalty gonna affect your punt? If anything, it'll we, make it better. Sam yeah. Martin's one of the better punters in the NFL. Yeah, and we ended up late in the second half, really scrounging around trying to get some points and some drives together and save time. Because no we didn't have any timeouts, which, like, I just don't know how you can kind of time manage. And, like, if you call that timeout, you got to call it because you're kicking the field goal. You can't call it and then pump. So, Nate, I'll throw a question at you. Do you think the Broncos should take a more aggressive special teams view like the Cowboys did against the Steelers? Oh, I, I loved what the Cowboys did. It's It's honestly kind of like that... Our special team is not working. Screw it. Let's try something. Mm-hmm. And I love that approach. Is right now the Broncos special teams were not succeeding. I mean, like, like McManus is doing his job kicking. Our punter is doing great. But from a return standpoint, a coverage standpoint, mm-hmm. we're not doing anything. Like, why? Why don't we throw a fake punt out there? Maybe on, on fourth and three. Like, why don't we try to throw a reverse of field on a kick return? Like, why don't we try to do something because what we're doing right now isn't working? Maybe it's because our starting returner, Deontay Spencer, has been injured the last couple games. And we have seventh-round pick Tyree Cleveland back there returning kicks with sometimes K.J. Hamler spelling him. Maybe well, the coaches don't have confidence in them to pull off those complex trick plays. Well, what my response to you there is is why aren't you having Hamler return when he returns mm-hmm. so well for Penn State with his speed and elusiveness? Exactly. I, I, don't, I think they're just trying to get Tyree Cleveland more involved in the offense. I mean, we'll get into that later with our rookie report. Our final negative that we'll end the negative segment with was the O-line. Yeah, that's... Our O-line is probably our weakest point on our offense right now. I know a lot of the focus is going towards Drew Locke. But I really think our O-line is really hurting us right now. Yeah, we obviously ended the game with our third-string tackle, Jake Rogers, in the game. And he actually got added to the injury report, so he clearly was injured during the game. We have our second-string right guard, Austin Schlotman, in because Graham Glasgow is injured. Our, we have a rookie center who is – that's the reason why Dalton Reisner is having a down year. What are your yeah. final thoughts well, on Well, yeah, that? I mean, center is a position that people don't look at. It's the guy that snaps the ball. Cool. They don't realize that the center is the quarterback of the offensive line. He's exactly. the one that exactly. notices. He makes audibles. The center and quarter. Like, if you watch Peyton Manning when he played for us, him and the center were talking constantly. The whole, every time they went up to the line, the center would make an audible. Peyton would make an audible. Like, mm-hmm. it, that's just how it should work. And Cushenberry physically, I love the kid. He's yep. got the strength. He's got the mobility. Thought he was a steal in the draft. Has the flexibility. He has everything. He's just, he's a rookie, and he just hasn't figured out those audibles needed to be made. So then we get into situations where we don't audible, 
and we end up having Reisner overloaded with two people mm-hmm. because Cushenberry wasn't sure he should shift and block that way instead of the other way, and it's it's just confusion due to young players yeah, it's, or players it's, with limited snaps. It's a mental snaps. thing more than a physical thing. I don't really have any complaints with like the physical skills of our offensive line. Mm-hmm. It's the mental, mental errors yeah. that they make, the reps. Yeah. Because we haven't had an O-line, I don't think, since training camp that it's been five guys working together the whole yeah. time. And, I mean, who who would have thought that our best offensive lineman this year would be Garrett Bowles? Garrett Bowles, the guy that Broncos country has torn a new one multiple times. I Yeah, I remember going to training camp and hearing fans say stuff about Garrett Bowles, like crybaby Bowles and stuff like that, like just crucifying this guy. And, I mean, I don't really blame him because he led the league and holding penalties for, like, Mm -hmm. three straight years or something like that. And false starts, he was a big problem with. But this year... He decided to flip the script, and he's... Pro Football Focus has him raised the number two tackle in the NFL. Yeah, and my big thing is... Is, do you think it's because it's a contract year for him? It could be, actually. I think he's trying to play out of his mind. They denied his fifth-year option, which he probably took as an insult. And I think he's trying to prove something wrong. Yeah, I think he's trying to really earn that contract, but which is awesome. I love that because we're getting the best Garrett Bowles we've seen. Did you actually see today that he was named to Pro Football Focus's midseason All-Pro team? I did see that, yeah. Which I never thought I would see Garrett Bowles on an All-Pro team a day in yeah. my life. Yeah, I mean, my only worry with Garrett Bowles is will we get this production next year if we give him a multiple-year contract. If we decide to re-sign him. Will he relax or will he keep this fire? Because I'm loving this fire we're getting out of him. So that'll end our negative segment of the podcast. Let's get into the thoughts on our offense for the entire season. Yeah, so obviously our offense has been evaluated a lot, questioned a lot, so... I think with how questionable our offense has been, we should run this segment by kind of asking some questions. So I'm going to start this off by asking you, you think our offense is too conservative right now? I definitely do believe so. I think that they don't really have faith in how young their offense is. Because I saw a graphic, We our average age on offense is a little over 24 years old. Yeah. Which is not, not old at all. But like the youngest or one of the youngest teams... Mm-hmm. In the NFL, on offense. We have injuries with Sutton, all the injuries to the O-line, all these injuries. So I think that Shermer and the team have decided that they should not coddle them, but slowly ease them in, and that is not what you should do. That's a preseason thing, and there's no preseason this year. Yep. I almost feel like the Broncos are treating this regular season as a preseason for next year. Yep. So that's going to transition into, do you think they're playing not to lose, Nate? I think I think in the first half and the first drive of the third quarter, they're playing not to lose. And my reasoning for that is is the play calling. And it's it's kind of with what you said about them being too conservative. They don't want to negatively impact these players. They, Shermer does not want Drew Locke to be throwing interceptions and getting down on himself. And by Shermer trying to limit those bad play, those interceptions and risky plays that we need to be doing, he's forcing Drew Locke to not play lock football. And not lock football is playing not to lose. Exactly. Because Drew Locke is like 
dare I say, a Brett Favre style of quarterback. He's, I've heard him compared to as the white Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, what he, I've heard him call. he is a gunslinger. He throws the ball around. He moves around. He uses all sorts of different throwing motions. Like That's his, how he plays. He plays to win the game. Mm-hmm. And right now we have an offense that is being played to the odds. Yep. And it's just not working out. So... Mm-hmm. With that, we'll get into our third question. I got to ask you, who would you say is to blame for our offensive struggles these first eight games? Obviously, Pat Shermer, I believe his play calling has been atrocious. He is not letting these young kids play to their strengths. He is playing to how he sees them. Pat Shermer had that breakout year with Case Keenum with the uh, miracle play to Stefan Diggs in the playoffs that almost sent them to the Super Bowl, sent them to the NFC Championship game, and that got him a head coaching job where he did not succeed very well in New York. And we brought him in as some kind of QB guru. His son plays quarterback, and we thought he was going to transform Drew Locke, and clearly that is not happening. I feel like he has actually hindered Drew Locke's progression and is making him play way worse this year than he did last year. Also, Fangio's indecisiveness, I feel like he lets his assistant coaches get into his head a little too much he doesn't make those he cares about the media more than a head coach should yeah he he doesn't let the players play he doesn't want any rifts in his offense or any anywhere on his team and his coaches he wants them all to get along which is understandable exactly so with that being said what do you think could be changed about the offense in order to make them what they should be the the main thing i think that could be changed to kind of help our offense or at least get us some more points it might look uglier at times but let drew lock go take the training wheels off let him throw the ball around the football field yes he's going to throw some risky pass passes those will turn into touchdowns those will turn into interceptions but we will be doing something because right now we are doing nothing next thing i'd say is we need to give Lindsay significantly more touches he is an electrifying running back Pro Bowl, running back. Bulldog of a runner. Amazing vision, speed. He he needs to be getting more touches to electrify and energize our offense. And then the third and final thing I think we need to change is that we need to feed our young receiving talent. We saw a lot of that at the end of the last two games, but we need to be doing that throughout the whole game. They are too quick, too elusive, and way too dangerous after the catch to not be giving them the ball a lot of the time exactly exactly um yeah so we'll finish off our thoughts on offense with one more question i'll ask you mark why does it take trailing big for them to come alive for the offense to come alive so my thoughts on this are i agree with this quote i saw it seems like the first half of the games is how pat Shermer wants the offense to go and the second half is how Drew Locke wants the offense to go. Yeah, and it's the same thing I talked about the script. Exactly. Once I, we get off script. I think Drew Locke and Pat Shermer have such a large disconnect in how they want to run the offense that it's hurting them. And obviously, they're not going to go turn to the quarterback that doesn't even have a full season of starts under his belt for ideas yet. They're going to go to the guy that's been coaching for years, has been a head coach in the league, has led successful offenses. They're going to turn to his viewpoints on them but speaking about drew lock we're about to get into our most anticipated segment on him yep so that finishes our thoughts on our offense this season 
And next up, we are going to go all the way in on Drew Locke this season. So yeah, Drew Locke, the guy that many people have touted as the savior of the franchise. Hopefully he is the next coming of John Elway or Peyton Manning. Or even Jake Plummer. Exactly. We'll jump right in. What do you like about him, Nate? So the main thing I like about Drew Locke is his attitude and his aggressiveness. When you see him, when he has a good play, you see him dancing. You Mm -hmm. see him excited. You see him ready to just risk everything for this team. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that, like, he threw a pick. He walked to the sideline muttered a couple curse words got right on the tablet right on the tablet and started looking at what he did wrong like he just i love his attitude um some other stuff i like about about him is his ability to extend plays something we haven't really seen since tim tebow like the the pocket crashes around him and he has the ability to escape the pocket throw it away escape the pocket run escape the pocket find somebody okay we haven't been able to see that it's definitely a brush of fresh air since Paxton Lynch, our last mobile quote-unquote quarterback who would just run out of the pocket and then just run straight out of bounds or get sacked. Yeah. So along with this ability to extend plays, I think my favorite thing Drew Locke did last game that just made me stoked and jump up and cheer was how he risked his body for that touchdown. He got out of the pocket. He saw two big defenders there at the goal line. And he said, you know what? I'm Drew Locke. I'm the man. This is my team. And he mm-hmm. put his head down and he ran through the middle, got hit by both, took two big blows, and got into the end zone. Mm-hmm. That's very Elway-esque of the helicopter play from Super Bowl 32. Yeah, that mean, was a big momentum swing for us in that game. And if Drew Locke keeps doing that, he could be the guy. And the, the final thing I really like about Drew Locke has to be his ability to make a variety of throws. As you mentioned earlier, the white Patrick Mahomes, like he has that sidearm he can do. He can throw over the top. He, he can did, hit these, I'm falling over backwards. I can still find the, the running back in the flat. He did the underhand pass for a first down in the senior bowl a few years ago. Yeah, he, he has that ability. So unlike a lot of people, we're not Drew Locke fanboys that will defend him to the death. So Nate, what do you think he could change or like what do you dislike about him yeah so it's definitely good to put him in perspective because i do know a lot of fans that think super highly on every single player and i will put that to our credit that we see everybody as they are so some of the dislikes i have for drew lock have to be his tendency to panic under pressure which partly i think is because of the o-line he's not used to having time so he's not used to being in the pocket He's not used to having the ability to step up. And when he has time to step up, he usually takes it. But there are a lot of instances where he's in the pocket and he's just nervous. And he escapes out of the pocket. Which I believe goes also goes back to line because he's used to linemen getting pushed in his face, people blowing through the line. So he's, I think he's just anticipating that just a little too quickly. He's not trusting his O-line enough. Yeah, and then comes with that. He tends to kind of try to force throws, and I think that's because he's still a little bit inexperienced. He, I feel like he only goes through his like top two reads, and I feel like if his first read's not there, he goes to his second read, and he either forces that throw or he forces the ball to his check down player no matter what. Like I feel like once he gets towards like that second read, I think he gets nervous and he starts forcing a little, which hopefully will improve with time. 
And then the final dislike is that he underestimates the speed of NFL defenders. There's a lot of cases where he tries, he thinks he has a running lane to get to a first down and he gets caught. Or he thinks his receiver is like wide open because they're standing there in a zone and a DB has the speed to cut off the like ball. Like the interception he had against the Chiefs where Sorison ran it back for a touchdown. Yep. He didn't even see him coming. He jumped the route and yep. was gone. He sees a person open and he sees a person open. He doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. see the speed surrounding that opening. So how do you think he can improve on those dislikes, Nate? Um, big thing is, is if once he realizes that this O-line that we have is improving this year, slowly but surely... He needs to have some faith that they can keep a pocket for him and trust that. He needs to stop playing scared because I feel like in those first halves, along with the play calling, is Drew Locke scared to mess up. Once he gets to the point of the game that it quote-unquote doesn't matter is when he starts firing because he starts playing loose and not scared. Exactly. Um, he needs to go through his progression quicker, kind of like I touched on earlier. He needs to get to that third or that fourth progression in these four or five receiver sets. Um, he also needs to work on his touch a little. There are a couple plays down the field um, where he had a receiver open, but he just didn't quite get in the right spot. There is a Judy throw down the right sideline that he kind of threw a little bit too far. If he would have thrown it a little bit more back shoulder, I think it was a catch. And then he had a Timothy Patrick um, passed down the left sideline into the end zone that was thrown like maybe two, three yards, a little bit too long, forcing receiver like Tim Patrick to try to make a one-handed catch, which that's just not what is in his he strong does. suit. And then there's another one, the uh, one where I showed you the highlight of it from the All-22 on NFL Game Pass, where he had Jerry Judy absolutely wide open, oh, about yeah, 30 yeah, yards yeah. down the field, yeah. and he just rushed his progressions, and it was an incompletion, but that yeah. had to do with a little of the pass rush. Yeah, he also. got pressured and kind of gave up on looking down the field. So now we're going to get into the part of this segment that I'm most excited for. I did some digging on some stats for Drew Locke and some other quarterbacks that were I consider similar to him. Maybe they're in the same draft class as him. Maybe they have the same play style as him. And we also have one Denver Bronco legend on here that we are going to compare him to. Woo! So I'm le- excited. So let's get into this. Nate, first off, Drew Locke, his first 10 games, 13 okay. touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Not good, not bad. 14 sacks, 6-4 and four record. Okay. That, that's, about, that's about average. Yeah. So we're going to compare that to the number one pick from his draft class, Kyler Murray. who He had 12 touchdowns, one less, 5 interceptions. He was sacked. 30 times, Woo. twice as many times, and he had a 3-6-1 and one record. Yeah, so this is his first 10 games too, right? It, exactly. So um, that's crazy to see as we look at Kyler Murray now. Potential um, MVP. Yeah, I mean, he he's now on an Arizona team where they got that protection and they got They Hopkins. built around him. They built around him. So, I mean... It's crazy to think that maybe we our offensive line start fixing these mental errors and we already have the the receivers the weapons. Yep. Maybe we maybe could next get, year Drew Lock could be MVP. Bold prediction. Bold, very bold. But hey, so we're I'm gonna for it. Here's some more stats for Drew Lock. I'm gonna compare him to another guy from his draft class who had a similar coach as him. Drew Lock's first five games under Pat Shermer. This six, year, yeah. This season, six touchdowns, five interceptions, Ugh. nine sacks. Two and three record. Rough. 
His Bruh. first five games last year under Rich Gangrello, he had seven touchdowns, three interceptions, was sacked five times, had a 4-1 and one record. That's good. Now, the QB we're going to compare him to is Daniel Jones, the quarterback that was taken in the middle of the draft in the first round for his uh, year, 2019. Daniel Jones' first five games under Pat Shermer, he had six touchdowns, seven interceptions, was sacked 18 times, and had a 2-3 and three record. Obviously not very good. Without Pat Shermer, Daniel Jones has two touchdowns, five interceptions, has been sacked 16 times, and has an 0-5 record. What do you think about that, Nate? I mean, looking at looking at Daniel Jones' stats with Shermer, I neither of them are good, but he seems to be doing better mm-hmm. with Shermer. But then you look at Locke's scenario, and he did significantly better with Scangrello. And personally... I was kind of shocked when we let go of Scangrello. I, mm-hmm. I understood our offense didn't do what it wanted to do, but he was a first-year head coach implementing a system for the first year, and Drew Locke finished the year on fire. And it's mm-hmm. like we finished the year on a good point, and then we got rid of that offensive coordinator. It kind of shocked me. So, so we're going to compare him to another guy that I, you know I'm a big fan of. I wanted the Broncos to draft him before we got Drew Locke. And he's, oh, a, yeah. and he's in a similar scenario as Drew Locke. He's gone through a ton of play callers, ton of coaches. He doesn't have very much consistency. He has the weapons, but he hasn't just been able to put it together. So Baker Mayfield's first 10 games of his career, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, was sacked 22 times, and had a 4-6 and six record. What do you think about that? I mean... My my one thing is I I think with the more touchdowns and more interceptions, his Baker Mayfield played aggressive. He that he, he had a system that kind of not necessarily was a good system, but the system allowed him to be him to go for it. And I think if Drew Locke was allowed to go for it, I think that stat line would be a lot more realistic than I've, what he has now. I've been telling you the last couple weeks, I believe Baker Mayfield and Drew Locke are two very similar players. They have the same skill sets. They're both big play guys, and they but they need to be able to play an offense that caters to their uh-huh. skill set. Yeah, I agree. And Drew Locke is not in an offense right now, in my opinion, that can do that. Yeah, so, I mean, you mentioned in the beginning of this segment that you have a Broncos all-time great. Who is it? You got John Elway? What do we got? I got somebody even better. First bout Hall of Famer in 2021 next year. He played for us for four years. Super Bowl... 50 champion was the 2013 NFL MVP holds, holds the NFL record for passing yards in a season and touchdowns in a season. We're talking about the great Peyton Manning, the man, Hall, future Hall of Famer. His first 10 starts for the Indianapolis Colts. He went 3 and 13 that season, mind you. His second season as a starter, full season, he won 13 and 3 in the playoffs. Hopefully we can get that same thing out of Drew Lock. So Peyton Manning's first 10 starts, 14 touchdowns. 20 interceptions, 11 sacks, and a 2-8 and eight record. I mean, that Colts team was bad. Mm. They didn't have much, but they were committed to Peyton Manning. Now, don't get me wrong, Peyton Manning Is was, miles ahead of was the equivalent of how the Jets are going to treat Trevor Lawrence next year. Like, like they, Unless he pulls a Peyton Manning like Peyton Manning did and stays in college for another year. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, maybe. But, like, Drew Locke's a little bit different situation because he was a second-round pick, but it shows that if you commit to a player, 
and build around that guy and it, tell him he it is pays, the guy. Yeah, it pays dividends. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, finally, we're going to uh, be done with the Drew Locke segment. We're going to move into the rookie spotlight, a group of players that have been really helpful for the Broncos this year, especially with all the injuries. Yeah, so we'll just go ahead and start off with who I think is our best rookie this year, um, Jerry Judy. What do you think about Jerry Judy so far, first half of the season? Jerry Judy, awesome player. I was so happy he fell to us at 15. We didn't have to move up. I'm glad the Raiders messed up and took his teammate Henry Ruggs. Made me jump up and down for joy. Yes. Exactly. I remember my girlfriend was wondering why I was screaming at my phone so hyped that we drafted a football player she was i don't understand i was like no listen this guy is going to be transcendent for our offense he's actually up for rookie of the week this week yes i voted for him exactly so did i (laughs) if you're a broncos fan get on that and vote for jerry judy for rookie of the week he's definitely becoming a leader on this team with Cortland sutton being out i heard that he is talking more in the huddle he's becoming an amazing practice squad becoming a leader he's becoming a leader leader. fangio said he's hitting his stride for the season and I've even seen reports from players on the team, AJ Boyd, Kareem Jackson, that said it is almost impossible to cover that man in practice. And from a 10-year vet talking to a rookie, that is an insane amount of praise right there. Yeah, the main thing I would, I would like to mention about Jerry Judy is his mentality. Um, he had that great touchdown route, threw up his hand, faked out the corner, caught it, ran in. And then I don't know if you paid attention to what he did after that catch, but he had Garrett Bowles ran the whole way down the field to celebrate with them. And Jerry Judy kind of like accepted the celebration. But didn't get too For into like it. two seconds. And then he pushed Garrett Bowles away and just walked off the field. And you could see on his face he was pissed. Like he, mm-hmm. he, was, he wasn't even happy that he scored a touchdown because the team was losing. He's actually lost more games this season with Denver than he did his entire career at Alabama. Yeah, crazy stat. So next up, we'll get into his um, compadre there, K.J. Hamler. What are you thinking about K.J.? K.J. Hamler, insane speed. I think he has the potential to become one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. He has an unofficial 40 time of like a low high 4-2, low 4-3 because if there was this return he did at Penn State, if you timed him from the time he hit their own goal line to the 40-yard line. He was there in barely over four seconds. He's one of the fastest players in this draft explosive. class. Explosive, Super explosive. Obviously, he had a couple bad plays. He's been hurt a lot. His injuries young. have impacted him with his speed. His drop ball, obviously, when you see a guy like Keanu Neal coming downhill at you with his head down, you are going to protect yourself, especially when you're as small as K.J. Hamler is, but I think he will be a great player. Yeah, I agree. So next up, and we already talked about him a lot, so we're not going to go too far into it, is Albert O. We both see him as a future. We put him down as a a 1B tight end, as as we run a lot of two tight end sets, as being a starting tight end, obviously just barely below Fant. And when we were going through this, Mark, you came out with something that I think you should share. I came out with a bold prediction. I believe that Albert O and Noah Fant have the potential to become the next Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez-like tight end duo in the NFL. They're both athletic. They're both big. They're both basically wide receivers that play on the line of scrimmage. Hey, you heard it here first. Mark Hood, spitting facts. Okay, next up, 
our little rookie corner, Michael Oje Moody, a great guy, hard worker. We both love him. What are you thinking? I think that he has been robbed of a couple big plays. Like in the Titans game, he was robbed of that interception because of a holding call. I believe that Michael Ojemudia has the potential to be better than Bradley Roby was for us. Who? Oh, I agree. Bradley Roby was a great player for us for years. I was upset when we let him go, but I believe Michael Ojemudia will be better than Bradley Roby in the long run. Well, the, th- the difference is Bradley Roby was a great interior corner. And I think OJ Mudia shows a little bit more promise on the outside, which Keep is what, we're, which is what we're needing. Yep. Okay, next up, you saying Bassey. He, Asain Bassey, you know, great story. He kept the, the streak going of undrafted free agents making yes, the roster. And starts. Exactly. He's a, he had a great run-stopping ability against the Falcons. He was all over the backfield. He's a great tackler, which we can't really say about Oja Mudia. I read reports saying he's learned how to wrap up, and I've seen that. Bassey clearly knows how to wrap up, but he's a little on the smaller side. He's a little, you know, you can't expect a lot out of him right now. He's young undrafted he needs these reps and he did well when he has been asked to step up and play yep so next up we have lloyd cushionberry but we kind of already went over his mental struggles and kind of his impact on the guards beside him so i'm just going to kind of fast forward through him and go over to mctelvin again mctelvin again uh you know it's weird seeing another number 95 out there other than Derek wolf yeah it's it's upsetting he's McTelvin's been forced into the lineup due to injuries um, with Shelby Harris on COVID, Mike Purcell injuring his foot being out for the season. But he actually played really well this last week. He had an 84.4 pass rush grade according to Pro Football Focus, which is good. We got that means we got that nice interior pressure, make quarterbacks uncomfortable in the pocket. He had two hurries and a batted ball. So yeah, I mean, kind of fit in and filled that Shelby Harris role. I mean, definitely not to the level of a Shelby Harris, but... To get some production out of a backup in that position is big time. Exactly. It's definitely, you know, a learning process where, like we said plenty of times throughout this, we're a young team and these young guys need to continue stepping up, and hopefully they do. Yeah, so our final rookie spotlight, Tyree Cleveland, six snaps on offense. He didn't really have much of an impact on offense. Mostly he came into our return game. What did you think about his returning? Um, I think he's a little indecisive, and I think he's trying to make too much of a play. Yeah. I think he has some very questionable returns where he's one or two yards back in the end zone, and he's like, okay, I'm going to return this when he can still knee the ball down or let the ball hit the end zone and just get a touchback, and he gets stopped at the 18 to 20-yard line. Yep, he doesn't. He doesn't play very well to his strengths. Um, I think he needs to be a little more decisive. Maybe they should put K.J. Hamler back there. But we're getting Deontay Spencer back this week, so I don't think we really have to worry about his returning ability anymore. Yep, so we are starting to come kind of towards the close of our podcast. So next up, we're going to have the preview of the Raiders game, and then we'll finish with some score predictions, bold predictions, things like that. So here we go. So yeah, the Las Vegas Raiders. One of Denver's biggest rivals, if you're a Broncos fan and you are ever caught rooting for the Raiders, you are dead to Broncos country. So what do we know about them, Nate? Yeah, so so far this season, they're 5-3. and three. Um, The biggest thing about that 5-3 and three record is they're 2-0 and oh in the division. They beat the Chiefs. Completely shocked the world with that one. And beat them badly. Beat too. them badly. It, it honestly scared me, but mm-hmm. it's okay. So their offense ranked 18th in the NFL. 
Their defense is ranked 32nd. That's really good mm-hmm. for us as our offense continues need to be playing against those lower-level defenses. Their special teams also, it's ranked 29th, so that's also pretty low. Um, some stats about their offense. Uh, they get 26.7 points per game, about 250 passes, pass yards per game, and like 125 rush yards per game. So they put up a lot of yards, a lot of points. Yep. Our defense... I have faith in if we get these corners back. Um, some defense, some defensive stats for them. They allow like twenty five points per game. That's good for us. They allow like almost two seventy passing yards per game. That's very exciting for Locke. And then they allow like one hundred and twenty rush yards per game, which hopefully Lindsey is all over that. Um, my question for you is, what do we need to be watching for as we watch this game? I believe uh, we need to really pay attention to can the Broncos secondary stop the Raiders passing attack. Luckily, we're getting back Bryce Callahan and A.J. Boye this week, so we will have a little bit of boost there. We won't have the same mental mistakes that our young corners had this last game. Next one will be will the Broncos stay committed to Melvin Gordon, which we talked on earlier. We both think that we should move on from Melvin Gordon, let Philip Lindsay get the workload. Something that's interesting about this game that oh, I man. think we should watch for is this is Devontae Booker's revenge yeah. game against the Broncos. Man, that is scary. He was with us for for a handful of years, and we never really kind of gave him a true shot. Anytime you lose a player to a division rival, you know he signed with them for the purpose of two revenge games a year. And finally, the biggest one I would definitely say is, can Denver avoid a division loss? We have the one win against the Chargers, and we have a loss against the Chiefs. Can we avoid the 1-2 and two record in the division? Yeah. Um, so who do you think, uh, going off of that, who worries you specifically Yeah, on the so Raiders? I have a couple players that are, are kind of scaring me right now. Mm-hmm. Number one, which is the guy you've been talking about all week, is Darren Waller, and I'll let you kind of go about him. So the Broncos, for years, if you've been paying close attention to the Broncos, well, cannot cover tight ends. We have a problem. Cannot. Our safeties can't cover them. Our corners can't cover them. Our linebackers can't cover them. Obviously, our D-line can't cover them. So Darren Waller scares both of us a lot. Some stats about him this season. He has 67 targets this season. The next closest on the team is Hunter Renfro with only 35 of those 67 targets, he's caught the ball 50 times for 393 yards and four touchdowns. So he's obviously Derek Carr's security blanket. Derek Carr knows he can count on him week in, week out, and I think that he is the scariest part about this game. Yep, so next up is going to be the Raiders rushing attack. So they do a great job, maybe unlike the Broncos, about splitting their backfield the last couple weeks. So... If you look at Booker and Jacobs, two different type of runners. Um, Booker had eight carries for 68 yards and a touchdown last week. You look at Jacobs, 14 carries, 65 yards and a touchdown. That's almost perfectly split. Mm -hmm. They both are very aggressive runners. It's obviously the revenge game for Booker. And Josh Jacobs is just just a dog. So... Mm -hmm. We have that along with our injured front four. With the loss of Shelby Harris this week, yet again, I think this is a very big thing to look at yeah. is how much the Raiders run the ball up the middle of the yeah. field. It'll be something to look for. Next up is going to be Derek Carr. What do you think about Derek Carr? So I was very high on Derek Carr coming out of college. I 
always have respected him. I know it's kind of blasphemous to respect a Raiders player. But Derek Carr is having a great season, one of his best seasons this year. He has just over 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns, and only two interceptions. They even in the broadcast this last week, I watched some of the games so that way I could see what's going on with them. They called him a dark horse MVP candidate. And there was two plays in particular for him that scared me this week with our injured secondary. He made a throw to Hunter Renfro where he yeah. rolled out to the right and launched the ball about 40 yards down the field right in the bread basket. And there was another one on a touchdown to Aguilar where he once again just dime dropped it right to Aguilar. And I think our corners and safeties will have to play perfect technique in order to stop those wow factor throws. Yeah, there. so that kind of leads perfectly into our next sphere which is just the speed of the Raiders receivers. It's going to put a lot of pressure on our safeties. You got Henry Ruggs, who is the fastest receiver in the draft. Mm-hmm. You have Renfro, who's got speed. You have Aguilar. And you look at their stats, like Henry Ruggs, 10 catches, 210 yards, and a touchdown. He's been a deep threat for him. You have Renfro, 27 catches, 370 yards, and two touchdowns. Big-time target for Drew Locke. And then you got Aguilar, who is so big and just so lethal down the field. 17 catches, 350 yards, and five touchdowns. They love to use him in the end zone. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be curious if we're using our safeties on them, who are a little bit taller than our corners. Are we just going to have them draping over the top? It'll be interesting to see. There's a couple ways to handle it. But I'll kind of let you get into our next portion, which is our keys to winning the game. What do we need to do? So obviously our offense is going to need to come out of the gate hot. We can't have any more of this. We only play good for one and a half quarters towards the end of the game. We need to score points. And by points, I mean touchdowns early in the game. We need to start the mentality with that we are losing and we have to play. We have to play every quarter like we're down two scores so the offense just lets it loose. Next, obviously we need to neutralize Darren Waller. Yeah, we kind of already went over that. Need to get the safety coverage over the top. Maybe putting a linebacker on the line to kind of stun him. Maybe Jules' new, newfound coverage skills yeah. to put a stop to him. Yeah. Uh, Drew Locke will definitely need to get help from the running game. That was one of the biggest problems last Phillip week. Philip Lindsay, feed mm. Philip Lindsay. The Falcons shut down our running game, so they knew Drew Locke had to throw more, and that in turn hurt our offensive production. And finally, I believe injured defensive starters that are returning will definitely help us. Our DBs coming back will help us a lot. Uh, sadly, we will not be getting Shelby Harris back this week, which is another big loss. That'll be something to watch. Yeah, all sound. I mean, yeah, if we get those things done, I see us winning this week. Um, let's go on to our segment called Score Prediction, where me and Mark are both going to throw out what we think this game is going to be. So I'll go first. I think it's going to be a relatively high-scoring game because – both teams, either via injury or talent, our defenses aren't that good. So I'm going to go with the, the home team. I'm going to go with Denver, my, my squad, and I'm going to say Denver's going to win 27-24 to 24 off of Brandon McManus field goal. That's a very good prediction, Nate. I'm going to take a little more cynical route, and I know Broncos country is probably going to tear me a new one for predicting this, but I believe Denver will lose this game 24-20. to 20 just due to the fact that we have all those injuries on our offensive line and defensive line, and the offense hasn't shown me anything that they can start a game off hot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I can see it either way. It's going to be close, I hope. It's going to be a close game. Broncos going into the game are four-point underdogs. So we'll finish off with our Hail Mary predictions, which is where Nate and I will make predictions that we 
hope happens, but they are kind of out there in terms of what they are. Yeah. So my prediction for the game is I believe Jerry Judy is going to have the best game of his career this week. He's going to go off for over 110 yards and two touchdowns. Hey, I would love to see it keep building on what he did the past two weeks. My prediction, which I'm a big Feed Phil fan, I'm going to say Philip Lindsay's longest run tomorrow, or on Sunday, is going to be over 40 yards. He's going to get a big-time run, and it's really going to electrify our offense and kind of smack some words into Shermer's mouth and force him yep. to play Philip Lindsay. Thanks for listening to the inaugural episode of the Appalachian Broncos podcast. Join us next week to hear our review of the Raiders game, learn what's been going on in the news, and get our thoughts for the upcoming game against the Miami Dolphins. I'm Mark. I'm Nate. And, and we, we are, are the Appalachian, Appalachian Broncos. Broncos.